Um, so if you have not gotten your communion elements, feel free to walk over and grab them at any time. Are we ready? Yep. All right. Hey, good morning. Welcome to Church in the Mall. Welcome home. For those of you that are online joining us, uh, thank you so much for being here. Uh, it has been quite an interesting week for those of you that have been watching the election. And I don't know about you, but I still feel so just overwhelmed, especially when I look at states that are one-tenth apart in their voting. And so it just seems like we are still at a time, a crossroads in America, where people are just feeling undecided and unassured. But Today, my hope is that we will find hope together. We are going to walk away assured as we begin our, or continue our study of the scriptures in Philippians chapter 3. But before we go there, let's, uh, let's spend some time just readying ourselves in prayer. I'm going to ask the sound guys maybe to turn me up just a tiny bit, not, not where it's blaring, but just a little bit. And uh, let's, let's go to God in prayer before we jump into the word today. Lord Jesus, as we have gathered, whether it be at home or in this space, Father, we ask that your spirit come and dwell and rest with us. Father, we know that the world is not always a safe place. It's not always a place that makes sense. But we do have a God who is safe, and a God who makes sense, and a God who will set all things right according to his will and pleasure. And we are a part of that pleasure, that God, you delight in each and every one of us for who we are, what we are, what you created us to be, and Father, there is no one or no thing that could ever love us more than you. So Father, as we begin to just settle into that this morning, would you come now and speak to us as we begin our study of Philippians chapter 3 today? For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, I hope you've been joining us, reading along. Some of you are involved in some small groups, which I think is just such a wonderful way for people to interact. I know some of our small groups have even invited friends from other churches to come and be a part. Uh, and I just think that's such a great thing. But let's just do a quick recap. I want you to see again, we are in the city of Philippi. We are talking about this letter written to the Philippians, which was one of Paul's probably closest groups. If I were to say there was a specific group that Paul had the greatest intimacy with, it would probably be this particular group in Philippi. This is an artist rendition of what it might have looked like. This is more what it looks like today if you were to go visit it. Again, here's just some interesting architectural pieces, but I want you to see that what we're talking about is in fact a real place and a real space in time. And so here is the amphitheater, and then here is the jail cell, and the reason we're looking at jail cells is Paul writes this letter while in jail. And this is probably more of what it would have been like for poor Paul. He would have been in these barricades, and I don't know about you, but I cannot think of a worse place to be. But as we looked at the last few weeks, these are the opportunities that God doesn't miss a beat on, and he uses them for great purposes, including fulfillment of his will in order to allow people to know who Jesus really is and just how much God loves them. So last week, we took a, took a look at this idea of the model of the Christian life. The week before that, we looked at the marvel of the Christian life, that being love, last week being the idea that we are made in Christ, and then we are to imitate Christ. And so we looked at these specific words last week, and we need to recap them because they're going to continue into the message that Paul continues in this chapter for this week. So let's go over real quick. We have kenosis, which is the emptying of himself. When we talk about Christ emptying himself, what we're talking about is the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, a perfect unity of three distinct persons, but one God. And when we talk about kenosis emptying himself, we're talking about how Christ is everything that God is. And therefore, in order for him to come to the earth, he would have to take on flesh 
so that he could come and live a life just like you and I. And so it says he emptied himself, not of deity, but of some of the responsibilities of deity, such as receiving glory, such as being able to choose his own will. And so what we see is a Christ figure who voluntarily follows the Father and all the Father's will and desire. This becomes a, a message for you and I and how we can live our lives by humbling ourselves like Christ did in order to follow God. Morphe is that inward, never-changing peace. So even while he takes on flesh, he never changes who he is. He is God. But schema is this outward change. So the outward would be the taking on the flesh. And we look specifically at a few verses, five in fact, that really help to, to capsulate this. And this becomes one of the key pieces of Paul's message here. So let me go through them real quick. You can find this in Philippians chapter 2, 6 through 8. But let me read them to you. And I'm going to be reading to you in the translation of the voice, which I just find uh, a very modern term that I just love. But it begins like this. Though he, Christ Jesus, was in the form, or the morphe of God, that means all devout character nature, he chose not to cling to equality with God, but he poured himself out to fill a vessel brand new, a servant in the form of schema. He puts on flesh. That part changes. And a man indeed, the very likeness of humanity, he humbled himself, obedient to death, a merciless death on the cross. And then he continues. So God raised him up on the highest place and gave him a name above all names. So when he, and his name is called, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is God in heaven and on earth and even below the earth. Jesus is the anointed one, the Lord, to the glory of our God and our Father. And then I love just this idea of looking at what it was like for Christ to empty himself. And you can see it's like a you. As he empties himself, he humbles himself, and he goes down. But then he hits a point where God then raises him back up. And so when we talk about being co-heirs with Christ, this is exactly what Paul wants you and I to understand. That as we humble ourselves and we go low, God then lifts us back up to this point of righteousness, and we become co-heirs with Christ. Now, our finishing statement last week was that you will never be more like Jesus than when you humble yourself. Now this week, Paul's going to be transferring this into another idea. And he's going to begin this particular chapter saying, finally. And whenever Paul says finally, he doesn't really mean the end. He's just saying, let me bring a conclusion everything that I've been talking about up to this point. And so that's why we're beginning our time here. And so this week, we're looking specifically at the third point, which is the motion of the Christian life, and I like to think of that as pressing on. And I can't think of a better term than pressing on when we're faced with such an interesting time in our lives, a time of such uncertainty and such unrest. But God has still called and equipped us to press on for the goal. Do you know that God has made us more than conquerors? That in the person of Jesus Christ, you and I are made whole, redeemed, set free, so that we can live our lives in total obedience and abundance to God and have all of our needs and desires met. That's why Christians can have joy even if they're in prison. And so this is one of my favorite pictures, and I saw this when I was a kid in a magazine ad, and it goes like this. If it ain't been in the pawn shop, it can't play the blues. Just take a look at this picture for a minute. I just love these guys playing on the porch, and I just love the idea of an old beat-up guitar and just trying to think of the stories that it has wrapped up inside of it. 
Where is it played? Who has it played before? But the idea here is that Paul really grapples with this concept of suffering. That if we're going to be like Christ, you and I have to suffer like Christ. And so I love this phrase, if it ain't been in the pawn shop, it can't play the blues. If you haven't suffered, you can't be like Christ. And so Paul is going to use that idea to further uh, pull out, I guess, the idea of who we are in Christ and how you and I can press on. Now, this is another one of my favorite quotes. This is by Alan Redpath. He's a part of Moody Church. But he says, when God wants to do an impossible task, he gets hold of an impossible person and crushes them. Let me read that again. It's hard to understand, and it may even have words that you don't like. But when God wants to do an impossible task, he gets a hold and looks for, he finds an impossible person, and then he crushes them. Now, Paul becomes one of those great imitators of Christ. When we first find Paul, he has been persecuting Christians. He is the most pious Jew, a Pharisee or a Sadducee, if you will. He is a man who has followed God to every nth degree of the law. And he is now persecuting Christians because they're violating and taking away from the Jewish tradition. It's no longer about all the laws that Paul has kept. It's about freedom in Christ, and he can't handle that. And so he goes after the Christians in order to force them back into a legalistic law, and God meets him there. An impossible task requires an impossible person. And so the first thing Paul does is he is introduced to the person of Jesus Christ who manifests himself as the risen Lord and knocks Paul off of his horse, or his high horse. In doing so, he then blinds him, and then he sets him on a path where Paul will continually be crushed, or what I like to think of as disciplined, or molded, shaped into, much like a potter would shape clay, into this amazing person for Jesus. And if it wasn't for Paul, you and I would not be here today knowing who Jesus Christ is. And so thanks be to God for choosing an impossible person to fulfill an impossible task. And thanks be to God for crushing him. Now, if you want to press on in this world, you're going to have to face the pain that Christ endured. You are going to be crushed. And so if you feel like you're being crushed right now, guess what? You are in a great place where God is moving in your life. But it's not just about being crushed. It's about who we're going to become in Christ through this. And so what's our part in all this and how do we press on? We're going to look specifically at chapter 3 of Philippians. And we're going to better understand what Paul means as we press on in this world. And we press on towards this ultimate goal, which is to be perfected in Christ. That means to share his character and nature in his love. So let's take a look at the first part. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and flip open to Philippians chapter 3. We're going to be in verse 1 through 7 to begin our time today. And let's uh, jump in and see what the Word has in store. Paul begins like this. It is time that I wrap up these thoughts to you, my brothers and sisters. Rejoice. And that's our first point today. Rejoice in the Lord. Paul's going to talk about this rejoicing in these terms. He says, look, I've been sharing these things over and over with you. It's like beating a dead horse. And I'm sure you're even sick of hearing some of these things. But it's for your own good. It keeps you safe. 
In other words, when we remind one another of our Christian faith and where it comes from and how we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, that when we face hard times, that's a part of working out our salvation in fear and trembling. And that's all a good piece of God moving in us because God wants to do a great thing, an impossible thing, through impossible people. And so just like he broke Paul, he's going to break you and I. And so by talking about this all the time amongst each other, we're, we're not so much tearing down, but we're bolstering the idea of God at work in you and I. And we're encouraging one another. So Paul says, I'm going to continually encourage you. But then he gives a warning. He says, now watch out now for the dogs. This is such a great term. You know, if, if, you, uh, if you cuss, like sometimes I cuss, you will really find that Paul also cusses. He uses terms that are slang and inappropriate, and he uses them in this chapter of the book, which tells me that Paul not only feels very close and intimate with these people, but Paul is also making some radical points here. He's so worked up, he's going to use some slang, if you will, some inappropriate words to try to get across a very appropriate topic. And so the first thing is this. When you look at the most pious Jews... They would look out at all the world and they would see these Gentiles or they would see these half-Jews that weren't really following the laws and the rules the way they were. And they would call them dogs, referring back to Deuteronomy and this idea that these dogs are nothing more than male prostitutes at a holy temple that worship false gods. And so they would call people that as a derogatory term to tear them down. And so what Paul is doing is he's reversing it. He's saying, watch out for those dogs, not those Gentiles that are trying to find God, but watch out for those religious, pious people that think they have it all figured out, but they want everyone to follow God the way they do and under the laws and rules that they set. And so Paul turns the whole thing on its head and calls them dogs. But he said, if we're going to really have joy, if we're going to really rejoice in the Lord, then we need to watch out for people that are going to try to take away our joy by implying that you and I need to earn something with God, whether it be a relationship, whether it be our salvation, whether it be good standing, you can't. And Paul wants to remind us that that's even worse than being in prison. You can't earn God's love. God gives you his love freely. You can't earn God's love. God gives you his love freely. And not just in words, but in action, because love is an action. So he sends his own son to the earth to not only empty himself and become like humanity, but to take his rightful place with us, then living a life in perfect obedience to the Father, so that when he gives it up to death, death on a cross, he then lowers himself to the ultimate, most humble position of God becoming human and dying. So that Father God can lift him up to the heavens and seat him at the right hand of the Father to judge the world and all that's in it. You and I become co-heirs with that Christ. We will experience the same thing. And our humbling and humiliation here on earth, you and I, are preparing ourselves to be raised again with God the Father to sit with Jesus Christ. So Paul says, this is where my joy begins. So when we talk about rejoicing in the Lord, that's what Paul's rejoicing in. But he says, watch out for these people that talk about circumcision and dietary regulations, keeping weekly and annual holidays and other Jewish practices. In other words, people who follow the law more than following the God of the law. 
He said, since the time of Abraham, circumcision has been the, ma the mark of the covenant with Abraham's spiritual children. Things are changing. Outsiders, non-Jews, are entering into this new covenant. So he's jumping back into this old idea that when God made a covenant with Abraham, they, they circumcised, they took off a part of themselves in order to reveal a more intimate part. And God is saying, you're going to take off that old self and put on the new. And that's the exact terminology Paul uses. That we are being made new in God in order to do so, we have to humble ourselves and take off this old self. And Paul's saying what's happening is God is blessing us in such a way that not only Jews, but Gentiles and non-believers and people from all over the world and, and different sects and, and different communities and, and all sorts of different ethnicities are coming together in this amazing character of God, of Christ Jesus. And they're under his rule now. And that covenant extends far greater than just to Abraham and his children, but now to all people. Who have now come to trust Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. So no wonder Paul can say rejoice in the Lord if you want to move forward. He says, listen, do they enter by faith alone or is faith plus following God's law for Israel a part of it? Paul's answer is clear. It's faith alone that makes Jews and outsiders right with God. So he cautions them. Don't just jump into the laws. Jump into the person of Jesus. He says, we are the people of the true circumcision. Those who worship God in spirit and make our boast in Jesus, the anointed one, the liberating king. So we do not rely on what we've accomplished in the flesh. Now, you want to hear about boasting. Paul is now going to boast. He's going to say, look, you hear all these guys telling you that they followed the laws and the rules. Well, let me tell you, I followed it better than they did. He continues, if any of those around them begin to push their pedigrees on you, talking about how religious and set apart they are, remember my resume for who I am, which is more impressive than theirs could ever be. And Paul goes on to say, listen, let me talk to you about being a Jew. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day, just like every Jewish boy would have been. I was dedicated to God at the temple, as the law prescribes. I was born of the nation of Israel. I am a descendant from the tribe of Benjamin, I am a Hebrew, born of Hebrews. I have observed the law according to the strict piety of the Pharisees. I have separated from those embarrassing and less rigorous kinds of Rudeism. Am I zealous? Of course I am. I'm ruthlessly zealous. And when it comes to the righteousness required by the law, my record is spotless. Paul is setting this present saying, there is nobody who followed the law better than me. Now watch what Paul does. He goes, now that you know that, I don't think it's really worth all that. It doesn't cover what I wanted it to do. So he says, but whatever I used to count as my greatest accomplishments, the things I held up as the most religious, the most spiritual, the things that made me feel special, I've now written them off as lost because of the anointed one of Jesus. And he now jumps into the second part that we're going to study today, which is this idea that we recognize our belonging. If we're going to move forward in this world, Paul talks about, first of all, we have to find our, our way of rejoicing in Christ. And so we rejoice in the person of Christ and what he's done for you and I. The second part now is recognizing that we are who we belong to. Our belonging is in Jesus and so Paul's talking about how he found his belonging in the law and all sorts of Jewish religiosity, but the reality is those didn't do anything for him. 
They did not allow him to draw near to God the way he had hoped. But now through the person of Jesus, he has found that all that stuff cannot earn him a place, but rather points to the one who can, which is Jesus Christ. And so now Paul says, look, I count it all as loss. And more so, I now recognize and realize that all I've gained and through all that I have gathered is important, but it's really nothing. It's nothing more than yesterday's garbage. That word garbage is really another cool slang word. What Paul is saying there is poop. All this stuff is not worth more than yesterday's poop. In other words, all that religiosity is nothing more than religiosity. It doesn't get you any closer to God. It doesn't earn you a place in his kingdom. We have to trust in his son. We have to suffer with him. Living a life that shows that we truly have succumbed ourselves and humbled ourselves the way Christ has so that he then can lift us up. If we lift ourselves up, well, then that's worse. And we've missed out on the grace of God. So he says, it's for Christ that I've been shown and thrown in everything aside. Nothing but a pile of garbage and poop. So what can I gain then? Well, when it counts, I want to be found belonging to him, Christ Jesus. Not clinging to any of my own righteousness or the things I've done in my life based on the law or other religious activities, but actively relying on the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. In other words, I'm going to find my self-worth in how Christ humbled himself and therefore was raised from the dead and exalted to this high place of heaven where he is God incarnate. And I want to be a part of that. So in order to do that, I can't try to steal heaven from God. I've got to humble myself and allow God to bring heaven to me. Now God wants to do big things in this world and he's going to look for impossible people to accomplish impossible tasks, but he's going to humble them and crush them. And in doing so, they're not humiliated like we might think. They're exalted to a place of such glory that even today we look upon these people and think, wow, these are the pillars of the church. Paul doesn't stop there. He says this is true righteousness, supplied by God, acquired by faith. I want to know God inside and out. I want to know this Jesus. I want to experience the power of his resurrection and join in his suffering, shaped by the death, so that I may arrive safely at the resurrection from the dead. You know, if you want to know Jesus, you're going to have to experience pain. You're going to have to go through this world experiencing the turmoil and the uneasiness and the anxiety that comes with it. But if you set your sights on becoming like Christ, following what Paul is talking about, how we're going to rejoice in the Lord and then we're going to recognize who we belong to, then you and I have a way in which we can get through this world. We can move forward. Well, Paul's got two more points to make here in this chapter. The next one is this. We're going to realize that you haven't arrived yet. You know, I don't know of anyone um, that allows others to beat up on them more than themselves. In other words, the things people say to you that may hurt your feelings are never as bad as the things you say to yourself in your own mind. You are your own worst enemy at times. 
And sometimes we're all trying to live up to some sort of expectation we've created as though we're to be perfect, but you're not going to be perfect. And so I want to tell you right now, you have the authority to say, it's okay, I haven't arrived yet. The next thing Paul's going to talk about is how he himself has not arrived yet. So we're going to realize this. So in chapter 3, verse 12, Paul starts with this phrase. He says, listen, I'm not there yet, nor have I become perfect. But I am charging on to gain things and everything from the anointed one, Jesus. Everything that he has in store for me and nothing will stand in my way because he has grabbed me and won't let me go. Paul recognizes that he belongs to Jesus and Jesus belongs to him. Christ will not let go of any one of us. That means he won't send you away. That means he won't deny you. He will embrace you and stand up before all the nations of the world, all the universe, and say, this is my child, my beloved, and nothing can take that away from me. You know, if we really think about how Paul thinks about it, that we realize we haven't arrived yet, but that we have full grace in Christ, but yet we're still moving forward towards that goal, pressing on, knowing full well that that is what we're about. But it's okay when we mess up because we're going to keep our eyes on Jesus as our ultimate person that we're going to follow. That as we begin to process forward in this world, as you and I are taking into God's presence to do impossible things, we impossible people become crushed and then we become the glory of God and we begin moving forward in this world and doing things that almost seem impossible, but yet you and I get to experience the glory of God working in them. Do you ever think that this is why people love that phrase, oh, it's better to give than receive? You ever notice how people love to be a part of helping other people? There's a joy involved in that that's much greater than just happiness. There's something that resonates and connects us to the character and nature of God. It's about doing something so selfless, so humiliating, because it's not about us, that you and I become like Christ in those moments. But Paul doesn't want to lose sight of that. He wants us to hold on to that. Paul continues, he says, listen, brothers and sisters, as I've said before, I know I have not arrived, but there's one thing I am doing. I'm leaving my old life behind, taking it off, putting on the new one, putting everything on the line for this mission of knowing Jesus Christ so personally. I'm sprinting towards the only goal that comes to the cross, the line, to win the prize and to hear God call me at the resurrection. This is what it's all about. All of us who are mature ought to think the same way about these matters. If you have a different attitude, then God will reveal this to you as well. For now, let's hold on to what we've been shown and keep in step with these teachings. You know, for many of you, uh, if you're like me, you are watching the elections closely to see how this is going to turn out. And I can guarantee you there are people in this room that are rejoicing over the outcome and people that are in deep sorrow because of the outcome. I received many phone calls, even emails this week of people that showed me those exact feelings and emotions. But you know what it reminded me is that you and I, as followers of Jesus Christ, our citizenship is not here, but it's in heaven. 
But it's amazing how much emphasis I put on my citizenship here because I forget that really I'm a citizen of the king, the true king. And so I worry about the outcomes and, and how things are going to go in this world when the reality is God is still sovereign. And when I think of all the cruddy leaders we've had in the past and all the great leaders we've had in the past, God was still God on the throne. And so absolutely there's anxiety. Absolutely there may be some fear. But the reality is you and I belong to a world and a kingdom that cannot be stripped, taken, or manipulated. We serve the king. Paul knows this so deep in his soul that he can be chained up in prison and yet never, ever identify as being a prisoner of the Roman Empire because he's already declared himself a prisoner of Christ, a citizen of the king. That gives him a joy that can't ever be taken. So what Paul does next as he talks about how our residency is in heaven, not here on the earth. I like this line. Imitate me, brothers and sisters. Look around to those already following the example that we've set. In other words, you've seen how I've humiliated myself. You've seen how I've put myself on the line for the glory of God, for the advancement of the good news of his kingdom, so that no one else has to experience separation from God, but can rather be in a relationship that is so overwhelmingly good that you find your entire identity in it. Your life force, your joy, your peace. Not because of anything you could ever do, but because of what this God has done. Paul says, this, this news is so great that I'm willing to even put myself at risk. Now, follow my lead and humble yourselves so that God can lift you up. And when you're having trouble, imitate me. Follow my example. I've warned you before, and now I say it again, that through my tears, there have been many enemies, people who reject the cross of the anointed. They are ruled by their bellies, their glory comes by shame, and their minds are fixed on the things of this world. Those people are doomed. Now, do you ever think that there are people in this world that get everything they ever wanted? Wealth, fame, power. There are people like that in this world. But unless they recognize that it's God who gives that to them, and unless they recognize God loves them so much through the Son, Jesus, and they begin to trust in this love, instead of looking to themselves to supply everything they need, then everything they get in this world will be delivered up front. But for eternity to come, they're going to miss out on that incredible rejoicing moment when you and I stand in the presence of where not only have our sins been completely wiped free, but all our cares and our concerns, our fears, our anxieties, our illnesses, where we live in perfect harmony with each other and with God. That peace on earth we always talk about at Christmas time. This next part is so critical, and Paul closes with this for today. He says, but we, you and I, are citizens of heaven. Exiles on earth, waiting eagerly for a liberator. Our Lord Jesus, the anointed, to come and to transform these humble earthly bodies we have into the form of his glorious body, to be in the same power that brings us all things under his control. The reason you and I struggle is because we are not citizens of this world, and so this world doesn't always make sense. It doesn't go the way that we always want. 
But when we recognize that you and I are citizens of the king, we're citizens of heaven, we can face anything. And so to press on, Paul just reminds us, number one, we're going to rejoice in who we are in God. We're going to recognize our belonging to him, that he has claimed us as his own. We're going to realize that we haven't arrived yet, so give yourself a little grace, for God gives us full grace. And finally, that our residency is in heaven. Because when God wants to do an impossible task, he gets a hold of an impossible person and he begins that transformation process of crushing them, of transforming them, of finishing what he started in them so that they can experience true joy. I want to close with this. And this is a really interesting piece I had uh, never heard about before until uh, my mom shared it with me this week. And it has to do with the eagle. An eagle is the longest living of any bird species. It can live up to 70 years. The problem is an eagle has to make a choice at around the age of 40 of whether it's going to live or be reborn. Kind of like us humans. We can go through life and everything's fine, but then eventually we get to this point where it's not fine. And we can either muddle on, which eventually leads us to a more difficult place, maybe even death, or we can be reborn. But in order to be reborn, we have to go through an incredible amount of pain. So as this eagle ages and it gets to age 40, all of a sudden its feathers begin to kind of fray and get matty and heavy, and it's very difficult to fly. Its talons that are so important for grabbing prey are so overgrown at this point that they can't even manipulate well enough to grab prey. And finally, their beak has now curved over to the point where it is very difficult to eat. Now, most eagles, if they choose not to be reborn through pain, will die of starvation. But for those that are willing to go through the next 150 days of pain, about five months, they'll experience another almost 40 years of life. That process begins by that eagle going up to its nest or finding a place where it can be safe, and it finds a rock and it begins bashing its beak against the rock until its beak breaks off. Think of that amount of pain that would be. And over the next two to three weeks, that beak begins to grow back and be usable again. It then uses that beak to begin to pull out its talons one by one, picking at the skin around and tearing them free. And again, after two to three weeks, maybe four new talons grow in. Finally, it begins pulling out all its old feathers. And in another three weeks, new feathers will grow. At about 150 days of sheer pain, this eagle experiences a rebirth and can live for another 30 to 40 years. Now the reason I think that's such an interesting image for us is many of us are trying so hard to love Jesus but without entering into any of the pain and the struggle that's involved with loving Jesus. If we're to take up our crosses, if we're to jump into life with Jesus, that means that we're going to suffer. Things aren't going to go the way we want it, and we can no longer be the gods of our own reality. We have to trust another God, the true God. 
And in doing so, you and I go through this season of pain where we are being remade and the old is being taken off and the new is being put on in Christ. And you and I will live not just another 30 or 40 years, but for all eternity. We're talking about a rebirth of mind, of spirit, and of body. You and I were made to overcome and to be able to press on in this world. My hope and encouragement is that through the time we spend in God's word today, that you have found some things in your own life that you can rejoice about. That you have found some things where you can recognize that you, in fact, belong to Jesus Christ. That you realize that you haven't arrived yet, and that's okay. But we're still going to press on towards the goal. And that you have come to understand that your residency is in heaven, not in this earth. So when things don't go the way you hope, recognize that this is not your world. Yours is the one in heaven. I want to close with some communion and some time together. I'm, I'm just going to leave this image up because I love that story of the eagle. And I love the determination, just like Paul's determination, that I'm going to draw near to Christ and nothing is going to change that. My friends, the closer we draw, the more energy and the more life we end up receiving. For our God is a God of life. Grab your elements. We're going to take the bread. And in the same way Christ is broken for you and I, we break this bread remembering that we are broken creatures. That God wants to do impossible things, and therefore he's looking for impossible people to crush and to break. To humble so that he can raise them up. My friends, taste and eat knowing that God will not simply crush you, but he will redeem you in such a way that you will not perish, but have eternal life. Take your juice. We're always reminded of how the grape has to be crushed in order to make the juice. That it takes time in the fermentation process for that juice to become warm. In the same way, God's process has been going on since the very beginning. That before you and I were even born, God knew that we would not be able to achieve heaven, or accomplish heaven, or to take heaven. That we would need a Savior who can redeem us, rescue us, and then take us to heaven. That person was set up from the beginning, and as his life was humbled, all the way to the point of death on a cross, you and I also humble ourselves in this world, so that we can be lifted up with Christ. When you drink this, I want you to be reminded of Christ's humiliation turning into God's great glory. That nothing, nothing can thwart the power of God in this world. And for his children, I can think of no greater being who will protect, watch over, and provide for us than God the Father. My friends, drink knowing that you drink in this kingdom of Christ. You are children of the living God, co-heirs with Christ, who suffer along with
Allow me to close with this blessing. Lord, as we step forth from this space today, whether it be our homes or or this church space, Lord, I hope we can be like Paul, who is constantly trying to imitate Christ. And in doing so, has a life so rich that we still read about it today. And God, how every one of those moments, no matter how difficult it was, Paul looks back on it and sees the glory and the redemptive power of it and talks about his life with such joy. There is nothing that we will face in this world that we cannot overcome with you. Father, allow us, rather than make us, into those impossible people that can accomplish your impossible tasks that before us. Father, as you begin that process of crushing us in order to redeem us, may we find our place in you. May we know that this suffering will not be the end, but leads us to a life of everlasting. Lord Jesus, come and be that for us. In your name we pray. Hey, we thank you so much for joining us online and for being in this space. You know, if you do call church in the mall your home, um, I would ask you to really consider uh, supporting us financially as we are continually making changes and looking at how we're going to move forward in the future as a church and a community. Those financial blessings help us to do the ministry that God has called us to do here. And so if you would be so kind to jump online and make a donation or to send your checks to church in the mall, that would be a great help to us. For those of you that... Uh, don't call church in the mall your home, and this is perhaps your first experience. I hope that you are blessed today. Go forth, my friends, in this love and this knowledge of Jesus. Go forth knowing that Christ has called you to greater things, to overcome and to press on. In Jesus' name.